Hello and welcome to UX Like Us, the podcast for user experience designers, researchers, strategists, and meatbags. <laughs> I'm your user experience meatbag, Roman Burkhardt. <laughs> Joining me as always is Larry King. Larry, how are you? I'm 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 doing meaty tonight. <laughs> You get the JTBDs? What? What? Did, I, I've been to the doctor recently. I didn't get diagnosed with <laughs> I'm afraid you've got a severe case of JTBD. Oh, God. <laughs> Is there a cream for that? <laughs> so I guess tonight we're going to talk about the jobs to be done framework. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll begin by just saying... I have not been I, I've I've not been a believer. I've not been um brought over into the fold of the jobs to be done framework. Um and mostly it's because I don't get it. I mean, I get it, but <laughs> my biggest problem with it is I don't understand how it is different than the uh ways to describe user needs. Um, that we've had in, in in the past, right? So, you know, I've been doing I've been UX, doing UX since you know the early two thousands, and you know I grew up with the the you know adaptive path and Alan Cooper and um, you know personas and goals and, and 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 things like that, and that was always a great framework to be able to you know model your user research into something that's actionable for, you know, for products and things like that. Um, and then I, I, I feel like we have different generations of people coming along and looking for ways to describe how we um, model users and understand their needs and, and communicate it to, you know, product teams. And I, for me, I feel like jobs to be done is just another way of doing things that we've already been doing in UX for a very, very long time. So um, with that, Roman, why don't you <laughs> educate me on uh, what jobs to be done is and why it's, um, you know, why it's a thing? Well, Larry, if, if you don't understand jobs to be done or you don't just if you don't get it as you say uh, it's because your your mind has been clouded by the dark lord Jared Spool who <laughs> is frequently going on the record about uh, jobs to be done being largely useless um or perhaps at best a, a useful gimmick um so for he the did purposes say that, of didn't he? Useful gimmick. Oh yes, yes. That was as much as he was willing to give uh, ground to. Was uh, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. A sometimes, sometimes useful, useful gimmick. <laughs> Not an yeah. all the time useful gimmick, but sometimes. <laughs> um, so I, I, I feel like yeah. I'm. I come from that same background as, as Jared. You know, it's like sure. we have yeah. tools out there that already describe user wants and needs and unmet needs, and you know, it, it, and it's in the you know it's in the the uh, realm of you know personas with goals um motivations and scenarios right and so that's that's what i grew up with and i don't understand i guess my thing is i don't understand w how jobs to be done is different than that mm -hmm, is it just mm -hmm. another way of articulating the same thing we've already been doing but anyway i will let you get to um uh 
Yeah, you know, yeah. What, what, what's your point of view on this? Well, we'll, we'll circle back to uh, to Jared Spool and and just for the sake of clarity, um, to prevent this turning into a, a six hour discussion, uh, what we'd like to look at specifically for this show was the article that Ash Maria just put out um, called "What Is a Job to Be Done." Ash wrote the books Running Lean, Scaling Lean, um, and he's the creator of the Lean Canvas. And so uh, when you go look at the article, um, you know, he, of course, has to start off with the, the milkshake study. Um, <laughs> so it's, uh, the, there's a link to uh, Clayton Christensen uh, telling the story about how they were conducting research uh, on behalf of a, uh, a fast food client where um, they were trying to get a lift in sales of their milkshakes. And did it they... bring all the boys to the yard after they were done? Did the jobs to be done framework make all the boys come to the yard for the milkshake? Is that how this all works? I hate you. Curious minds wants to know Roman. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, Clay Christensen, all his milkshake brings all the, all the boys to the yard. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so they were uh, they were working on behalf of a client who wanted to uh, get a lift in the sales of their milkshakes, and so uh, you know the traditional approach there was to bring in their so-called ideal customer uh, for milkshakes and ask them, do you want it chocolatier or thicker or crunchier or colder or thinner and or what? And the people would give them good answers and then there would be no change whatsoever. So the, the, the puzzle there was why wouldn't um, making the milkshakes conform to the, the research with these customers um, result in better sales. So, uh, so let me, let me, let me, let me go, go back. Yeah. So, so they went and they brought in all their ideal milkshake buyers and asked them what they wanted. And yep. they took that and they changed their product in some way to reflect the, the stated wants of their, their ideal customers. And it did nothing for sales. That's right. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. I'm with you so far. Cool. So in order to try and uh, sort that out, they then went in person and hung out at the restaurant and conducted, you know, extensive research. Uh, one of the first most exciting findings was that more than half of the milkshakes were sold before 8 a.m. And nobody could figure out why people were buying milkshakes first thing in the morning. 8 a.m. That's that's early for milkshakes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can't. I'm trying to think if I've ever bought a milkshake before 8 a.m. And I believe that has never happened. <laughs> right. And I have children. I've smoked half a pack of camels before 8 a.m., but I never ordered a milkshake. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the, the video is well worth a watch just because he does a, a great job of telling the, the story. And, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to spoil the telling of it, but I will get to the point of they, they asked the, the people that bought the milkshakes, what did they get last time as an alternative? And so he goes through a list of stuff, you know, bananas and bagels and so on. And it all boiled down to, 
those things suck when you're driving in a car, you know, the banana leaves you with the stinky banana peel that turns all, you know, black and smells and you have nothing to do with it. And, uh, and bagels, uh, you choke to death, whatever, <laughs> you know, so you get crumbs all over you. And then and the, like, you know, if you get, uh, uh, get cream uh, yeah, cheese yeah. And, and locks on that thing, <laughs> man, that's, that's just gonna be a mess when you're driving. <laughs> Yeah, and your car is going to smell. You got so, capers uh, like falling, rolling off, and uh, it's, just, it's, it's no good. <laughs> so, uh, anyhow, uh, the reason that the milkshake was popular was because it was thick and viscous, and it was hard to suck through the straw. And so it kept them engaged and kind of passively entertained for the duration of the commute. Um, and it also sat in their gut and kept them full through like the morning shift to where, you know, they can make it to lunchtime and, and so on. So essentially the kind of aha moment is that they figured out what was the, uh, the job that the, that the customer was trying to do. And then they were able to optimize the shakes on that basis. And so, you know, you could get some post-it notes on a wall and come up with dozens of things that you wanted to try just right there, right? Like, well, what if we put milkshakes on sale until 8 a.m., <laughs> right? Or uh, for that matter, what about the opposite? What if we, you know, uh, lower the price after 8 a.m. to try to encourage more sales? What if we made a, a breakfast milkshake specifically? Um, one of the things they actually ended up doing was putting uh, chunks of fruit into the milkshakes that would get stuck in the straw, to make you work at it while you were on your commute. Oh, I hate so. that. That that's like the worst. <laughs> I, I, oh my gosh! Like you're 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 describing every other every smoothie I've ever gotten, and I'm just like you know sucking on it, and then all of a sudden, oh, wait, <laughs> I can't get it anymore. And then you're working at it. Like that seems like a really bad thing to be driving with. Like you know, fighting with a huge hunk of fruit on the straw while you're trying to like weave in and out of traffic. <laughs> that's right i'm trying to get the the strawberry through the straw and answer the phone and shift gears <laughs> and, uh, yeah <laughs> it was a different time okay <laughs> it was distracted driving um so anyhow uh, kind of a long story but you know the, the 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 point there being that they were able to kind of you know step away from asking a customer what specifically do you want in your milkshake to instead saying what is it that you're getting out of buying this thing, you know, early in the morning? Mm -hmm. um, so that still doesn't really answer the question of, you know, what is a job to be done specifically? And Ash Maria tries to tackle that in his article. Um, one of the, the things I really love about the article, aside from him not putting people on blast about, you know, definitions that he disagrees with or, you know, uh, all, all that kind of in, inflammatory Twitter beef kind of stuff is um, he calls out, you know, specific problems with uh, some of the approaches that have been brought up so far. So that includes things like circular definitions, polymorphic definitions, or purpose, purposely vague definitions. You're going to have to give me more information about those because I don't know what you're talking about. Once again, <laughs> maybe maybe this jobs to be done framework is just too complicated but i'll i'll, I'll let you just go yeah that's a possibility too <laughs> it's not it's more complicated than 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 it initially seems because like like for me it's like you know whenever i hear the jobs to be done framework talked about it's always about the 
the the hole in the wall, right? It's always the hole in the wall thing where it's like, hey, people don't want a they don't want a quarter inch drill, they want a quarter inch hole in the wall. Right. Right. And right. so that's always, you know, sort of the, the context of it. It's like, well, you know, the job to be done there is the hole in the wall, not, you know, the drill, because the customer's asking for a drill, but they really want a hole. Or do they? Uh, yeah, so what do they need a hole for? Well, they need to hang the picture. Well, what do they want a picture for? They want to make their house look nicer. Why do they want to make their house look nicer? So there's like, it's like it's like turtles all the way down. It's like where 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 where's the last turtle standing in in the in the jobs to be done? And how do you know which turtle to pick when you're defining the customer's problem? So that's the that's the part I always think is always kind of like nebulous and vague for me. Sure, sure. Well, I think we've already, you know, uh, revealed one thing about jobs to be done in particular is the the fact that this was very much invented as a framework for doing product research, not necessarily design research or, you know, UX research. So to some degree, I tend to think that, well, maybe uh, Jared Spool and, and other critics of, you know, jobs to be done within the, the UX and design space are probably uh, not too far off in terms of thinking that, you know, this might not be the the best fit for the kinds of activities that we were already doing, or, or for that matter, that we were already doing that, uh, uh, applying that mindset to the kinds of product research um, that, that we've been performing all along. That, that's just part of human-centered design, right? So getting back to the, uh, the, the, the definitions problem that Ash calls out, the first one, um, like I say, he doesn't point out whose is whose, but the first one is definitely uh, Professor Christensen's. People don't buy products. They hire them to get a job done. So if that's your definition of a job to be done, it's a circular definition. The definition of a job to be done is that it's, a, you know, they hire a product to get a job done. Right. So, <laughs> so, so let me let me let me go to the analogy to this so I can get my head around it. So people don't yeah. buy products; they hire them to get a job done. So the person buying the drill and the quarter inch drill bit wants a quarter inch hole, not a drill with a quarter inch drill bit. Right. Yeah. So yeah. So they're not buying the drill; they're buying the hole in the wall. Yeah. I, essentially. I, but okay, I'm, I'm, but I'm, obviously you would you would pursue that you know farther down the line, but not, not yeah, to jump possibly. ahead. Yeah, 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 you, yeah, yeah, possibly. But yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to get my head around it because like <laughs> it, it, that's that's the, the 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 scenario that's always brought up. And then for me, it's like no, I need a drill. I need I buy a drill because there's multiple things that I need to be have done, and a drill is a multi-purpose tool that can do lots of different things. Like it can also screw screw you know screws into a you know into a hole it can you know it can actually um work as a buffer for a guitar like i like when i'm making guitars and i like i like have a buffer thing that i can put on the end of the drill so i can sure, sure. buff things so i don't buy a drill for <laughs> i buy a drill for a lot of different things so that's why that's why it's like scenarios like that just sort of honestly make it more confusing for me to, to understand the jobs to be done thing but anyway yeah so yeah so people don't buy parts. They they hire them to get a job done. Um, I'm not buying a drill. I'm buying a hole in the wall. Okay. You didn't start off necessarily, you know, the assertion here is you didn't necessarily start off with the idea of, I want to go buy a drill. You started off with, I need a drill because 
I need to drill stuff. Yeah, well, that's actually interesting because I think, and this is my experience, you know, in in product um, uh, situations, is people think that that's what they want because that's the first thing that comes to their mind. They don't they don't dwell on the problem that they have, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They go straight from. I have this problem. Oh, here and this is the solution. You know, they 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 go right to the solution first because that's how it's easier for them to think about the problems in terms of the solutions to their problems, right? So exactly, they, if you ask them, you know, if you ask a person what what they need, they're going to say, "I need a drill." Exactly, right? and I think most people, when you talk to them about other things, are going to say, "I need." the green button at the bottom right hand side of the screen. Right. 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 And they're going to jump right in that. Solution. Yeah. They're going to jump right to the solution. Cause that's, I think for some reason, and I would love to get into the psychology of this at some point. I don't, I haven't really researched it for some reason. That's what people do. They, they, they automatically think in terms of solutions as opposed to the problems that they have and, 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 and go deep on the problem side of things. That's mm-hmm, not the mm-hmm. natural thing for us. Sure. Well, and, and again, the, the traditional marketing and you know product development approach here would have been, oh wow, we you know even if we look at the numbers, we see that a bunch of people are buying a, a milkshake before eight a.m. They must just really freaking love milkshakes. So you know, let's just go ask them what kind of milkshake do they want, and how can we make that a better milkshake? They're starting with the solution rather than trying to understand the the job that the those people were trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, so we've got the circular definition. People don't buy products. They hire them to get a job done, right? Yeah, so if that's your definition of a job to be done, that's problematic because it references the, the thing that you're trying to define. And that's the Clayton Christensen definition, to be clear, right? Yeah, yeah. And he's the one who came up with this framework. Yeah. And we've already established that is the confusing one. <laughs> okay, I'm just I'm just, I'm just it's the trying to follow of, along here. Yeah, yeah okay. it's the critique of that particular <laughs> definition. All right, um, and he was the and okay. So let's go on. Let's move on to the polymorphic definition. Sure. So uh, anybody who's taken a computer science class probably has heard the term polymorphism. Basically, the idea there being um, another job to be done proponent defined uh, jobs to be done as a task, goal, or objective a person is trying to accomplish or a problem they are trying to resolve. Oh, wow. So, There's a lot of stuff in that one. <laughs> exactly. And so Ash just calls it Which out. Which one you know, is it? <laughs> right. Is it a task or a goal or a problem? Um, so Those are uh, a bunch of different things. Right. How can these all be jobs to be done? So that's that's problematic. And then the, there's the purposely vague definition, which is a job to be done, describes the progress people are trying to make. Um, his critique there being, how do we scope progress? Um, and again, uh, it, I, I feel like uh, even though Ash has done a really good job of you know, being thoughtful and, and critiquing this, he, to his credit, offers up uh, his own definition that he, he he calls a simpler definition and i'll read that is a job to be done is the instantiation of an unmet need or want in response to a trigger that's quite a mouthful hmm. and reading hmm. through the article getting here is where i realized you know to to me the problem 
with trying to define jobs to be done with other words is that a job to be done is already pretty simplistic, right? So when you're using, you know, a three letter word <laughs> to describe something, uh, it, it's not surprising to me that it's really hard to come up with a clearer or more simple definition than job to be done. I just, it's a job that I want done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you think the, the the title itself is a better definition than any of the definitions that people have put out there? Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm reluctant to say this, but it, it's somewhat self-evident, right? <laughs> it's a job that somebody wants done, right? <laughs> Do we really need to torture it? <laughs> right. Yeah. So for me, so like, I, if I look at this simpler definition that, that um, this person, what's his name again? I'm sorry that Ash is, uh, is, is, is trying to um, get to. It's like a job to be done is an instanti- instantiation of an unmet need or want. Um, for me, that sounds a lot like a, a desired end state of a user. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Would you agree with that? Totally. And that is the same definition that Alan Cooper gives to Goal-directed design. A user mm-hmm. has a desired end state, and that is their goal. Right. And when you do, you know, goal-directed design like Alan Cooper um, subscribes to or, or, or proponent is the proponent of, he will say, you know, so the goal is, you know, it's the desired end state, and then there is the um, the motivation, and that's why they want to have that desired end state, right? So you got the thing, yeah. the desired end state that they want, and also the context behind why they want that particular end state. And so, if I look at jobs to be done in this definition, the jobs to be done is instant in, instantiation of an unmet need or want, a desired end state in response to a trigger, the why they want that desired end state. So for me, I look at this and I feel like they're just saying the same thing with different words. From a human-centered design uh, perspective or user-centered design or any of the you know um, design-led methodologies, a, a key element of that process is starting with the user and figuring out what it is that they're trying to accomplish. Yes. And so... That's where I feel like Jared Spool's critique of jobs to be done is is fair in the sense of, um, yes, we we already have tools uh, for these activities, um, but I also feel like maybe Jared is just a bit unconsciously competent in that arena, um, just in the sense of. Uh, just saying that, oh, you should start with the user's goal in mind doesn't necessarily put somebody in touch with how to arrive at that, right? So it would have been very easy to say, the user wants to buy a milkshake, right? That's basically where traditional marketing and product development would have started. Sure. That's the goal. Goal. Buy a milkshake. <laughs> you know? Um so I, you know, for me, the virtue of jobs to be done is that it's useful as a tool for designers, for entrepreneurs, for uh, product managers to step away from their solution, to step back and really understand what it is 
the user, the customer is trying to accomplish. And then from there, if you're researching the problem, then it's easier to um, come up with solutions to those problems along the, um, along the metrics that matter the most. What I found really helpful in, in this regards was the, uh, the Tony Olwick book, uh, What Customers Really Want. So he's a jobs-to-be-done practitioner um, who studied with Clay Christensen um, and kind of extended it. He talks about it a, a lot more in terms of desired outcomes. Um, so, for instance, if you go back to the super simplistic uh, drill example, it's like, you know, customers don't want a drill. They want a quarter-inch hole uh, in the wall. But from there, there's tons of different um, uh, angles to, to look at that problem to figure out the, the best way to solve it. So in, uh, in, in Tony Olwick's book, he gives an example of uh, a Bosch uh, power saw that you would use on a construction site. Mm -hmm. And so the research that they did um, uncovered all these desired outcomes around you know, sawing through wood, then included things like um, if I accidentally saw through the cable, uh, I don't want to be... Uh, you know, off the job for the rest of the day while I go to the hardware store and buy a whole new saw, I want to have interchangeable power cords, mm -hmm. right? Right. Or excuse me, the, the, the customers didn't come up with the interchangeable power cord part. They were just saying, hey, what really sucks for me is when I accidentally cut through my, my cord. And right. I, you know, I lose a day's pay. Um, and so by digging into these desired outcomes, these jobs to be done, or, or desired outcomes of the job to be done, mm -hmm. um, which is just, you know, cut wood. Right. They were able to identify the different axes that would make a product successful. So they were able to say, these guys need a saw with these attributes because, you know, they're sawing uh, masonry. And so their needs are significantly different than people who are cutting wood, right, or framing houses. Right. So... So let me take that same scenario. <laughs> and let, so we've got a desired end state. I need to have a bunch of wood cut in different sizes because I'm building a house on a construction site, right? Yep. So that's that's the the that's the goal. The motivation is I'm a construction worker, it's my job. I've got people paying me money to do this and um you know there's all kinds of different, you know, sort of motivations there, right? Um right, right. and the Okay, now what are all the, and I'm going to use the word, scenarios in which this thing <laughs> happens, right? It's like, well, yeah. there are scenarios where I'm cutting wood and I'm in a certain position where I sometimes it's hard to see what's going on and I saw through the cord and now I don't have right. a cord. So I, I, again, this is the, the problems I had with jobs to be done. It's like, I feel like there is frameworks that we've had for this for a long time and we're just using different names for things, right? So mm -hmm. the goals, motivations, and scenarios seem to be the same thing as jobs to be done, um, desired end state or unmet need or want in response to a trigger and you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I, I, I feel like we're just using different words to talk about the same thing. And, and Clayton Christensen, some 
independently came up with something very similar to what UX people were already doing. Mm-hmm. Um, because, damn, if it's not a good idea and it's very effective, but is just using a different frame and different words to describe it. There are subtle but, you know, specific differences between human-centered design and user-centered design, right? There's goal-directed design. There's basically, it's all the same freaking process, except that people are trying to, uh, you know, put it into a specific uh, framework that they can a market. Let's not be bashful <laughs> about that, right? Oh yeah, our yeah, our agency has this proprietary approach. Um, oh god, yeah, now I'm, I'm having flashbacks to our Scrum episode from a couple weeks ago. Now, <laughs> 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 the Scrum coaches and yeah, their yeah. methodology and uh, anyway. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, you know, as much as, uh, you know, some people are going to really geek out on, you know, uh, Alan Cooper's approach, uh, some people are going to really geek out on Jared Spool's approach. Uh, they're, they're largely the same. I, I think, you know, to me, the virtue of the job to be done, if you if you study it and if you read the material, is that it does provide you um, with steps to follow that you can actually uh, use to to understand the customer's uh, jobs to be done. But again, he, he was trying to solve for, uh, you know, marketing and, and business people who want to, you know, parse through numbers, look at spreadsheets and, you know, make decisions on packaging and pricing tiers and all this kind of stuff without ever talking to, you know, the people using it, or if they did talk to the people using it, um, jumping straight to the solution. And so I think that's really the the revolutionary uh, shift of, of mindset that Jobs to be Done does a very good job of calling out. That's the same thing that, you know, Alan Cooper was trying to get past, right? You know, with, you know, goal-directed design was the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, let's get away from just, you know, asking people for what they want and or not talk to people who are going to use this product at all and actually go talk to people and talk to people in a way where we can extrapolate out all these, you know, the goals and, and motivations and, and, and observe the actual scenarios in real life, right? So I feel like... Clayton Christian is, again, solving the same problems that UX people had already been working on and solving in a different way using different, you know, words and, and, and concepts. But I think fundamentally they're doing the same thing. Now, for me, for me, that's fine, right? Because I, what, what I want to make sure is, like, people are actually doing these things. People are, are focusing on on unmet needs and, 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 and why they're unmet and, and all the scenarios around that. And, or I'm sorry, um, the jobs that people actually need to have done. Right. Right. It's like, as long as people have some sort of framework that gets them out of solutions and into defining problems and actually talking to customers and, um, observing behaviors and, and rolling those into whatever framework you want, it, as long as that's happening, I think whatever philosophy you want to subscribe to or whatever framework you want to subscribe to that has the basic fundamental things already in place, no matter what you call them, is a good thing in my book. So given that Clay Christensen and, and team 
we're not trying to create a design methodology with jobs to be done. Then it begs the question of why would a designer then try to adopt jobs to be done and apply it to UX or, or product design? And I think that's where, you know, uh, Jared Spool's most, you know, recent writing that I've seen on the subject talks about it in the sense of it being an occasionally useful gimmick. So his critique was essentially that calling it a job to be done rather than something that's, you know, native to design or one of the established methodologies of design, uh, it can be useful, right? If it helps you really uncover the 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 user's uh, unmet needs and step back from from your solution and really understand the problem first. Um, the okay, yeah, that's that's useful, but not necessarily uh, needed. He refers to it as an occasionally useful gimmick, uh, making the comparison to magic. So, I don't think I'm gonna be breaking too many magicians' hearts if I reveal that. Uh, one of the oldest gimmicks in the world is what they call a thumb tip. Um, oh, I just broke my vows to never reveal how magic was done. What? That what? <laughs> Are you telling me that magician magicians have fake limbs? <laughs> fake thumb tips. <laughs> I remember this one time I saw um, I saw uh, what's that famous uh, magician guy with the. Uh, uh, he made the statue a little bit disappear. What's his name? Copperfield. David Copperfield. I saw David Copperfield act in 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 concert. Um, <laughs> I saw David Copperfield yeah. live, a co- live a couple different times. And, oh wow! Because um, I used to be a, a little bit of a magic nerd, much like Jared Spool <laughs> and me. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Anyway, so um, and it was it, it for me. It's like you see a person in this box over here, and then they drop a curtain and instantly they're over here. Obviously there's twins, right? I mean, come on. (laughs) Sure. That that would be, it's an easy potential solution. Sure. They're they're They were twins for sure. (laughs) Are you kidding me? They're freaking twins. Sometimes they're even not twins. (laughs) They're just like, it's close enough. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've all seen the, um, um, uh, uh, Robert Palmer addicted to love video, right? They've got all the girls that look exactly the same, but are obviously not twins, but they all have the same dress and makeup on and general body shape. So, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So, uh, I was also a magic nerd as a teenager. Then, then I discovered girls, but, uh, prior to that, Um, so the thing is, uh, Jared points out that, uh, magicians who are starting will use something like a fake thumb tip to help them make something disappear. And so probably the oldest trick in the book, uh, or the, you know, the first thing that you would get in a magic kit would be a fake thumb tip and a little, uh, silk handkerchief. And you learn to, you know, magically stick the handkerchief in your hand and 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 make the handkerchief disappear. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's using a gimmick. My gripe with his characterization of well, because he goes on to say that yes, when you're starting, you use gimmicks, but mm-hmm. then as you get better, then you learn sleight of hand. And he's right about that too, right? The better I got, the less I relied on gimmicks and the more I could do stuff with an everyday item. So whether it was, uh, you know, my audience's deck of cards or my audience's uh, pack of cigarettes or dollar bill or whatever it was, I, I didn't need 
a gimmick necessarily. Where I take issue is with him characterizing it as once you're a good magician, you don't use gimmicks anymore. That's just 100% wrong. Every magician uses gimmicks. Now, ideally, you don't always have to have a gimmick to do magic, but gimmicks will always be part of the magician's arsenal. So I don't think it's fair to say that, uh, you know, a good magician never uses gimmicks. And I don't think it's fair to say that, you know, only somebody who doesn't really know what they're doing as a designer would rely on jobs to be done. What situations does he say it works and which ones that he does he say that it doesn't? I don't remember him ever qualifying, you know, when it's good and when it's not, other than just say, you know, capitulating that it could be occasionally useful and read uh, Jim Callbeck's upcoming book on, <laughs> you know, Rosenfeld Press, uh, you know. Uh, but I, I don't think, you know, I think he basically gets stuck kind of where you are in terms of, look, we've got tools to, to do these things. And I think that's fair, assuming that you have been thoroughly and properly educated in design methodologies. I think the reality of the user experience design field is that many of us have not. Right. Well, so, so yeah, so I, 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 I'm sort of sticking by my, my theory that we're, they're talking about the exact same things with different words. Um, I think that you're sort of alluding to, Hey, jobs to be done, maybe a little bit, easier for people that have not had a lot of training to pick up. But as we talked about earlier, depending on what definition you're using for jobs to be done, it's actually kind of complicated and fuzzy and nebulous to what a job is. Um, you know, and you, you know, you've gone back to the, well, jobs to be done that those four words are the best description of what jobs to be done are as opposed to trying to qualify it with different words um so so you know i don't know maybe i'm just like you know in uh get off my lawn um you young whippersnappers <laughs> type of situation mentality here um i think i i'm i'm i still i i can't get past past the the my thoughts of it's just the same thing we've been doing with some and, and somebody else came to a similar conclusion in a different path in a different context, unaware of these, you know, other young, you know, UX whippersnappers doing product stuff as well. And we've just come to the same conclusion using different words, slightly different words. Wow. That that's where I am with yeah. the jobs to be done versus, you know, the rest of the tools that UX has in their uh, portfolio. Well, I certainly don't think it's profitable for people to sit around and, and uh, you know, torture the definition of jobs to be done. It's, uh, you know. Oh, but it's it profitable becomes... to do that, especially if you're a consultant. <laughs> well, I just think about like when President Clinton said, you know, it depends on what your definition of is is like, oh, OK, you know what? Just turn off the lights, close the door. We're done here. <laughs> like this is just c completely reductionist. I think there's a certain level of, you know, uh, irreducible complexity that, you know, it, it, jobs to be done is just, it's jobs, it's the job that you, you want to have done. So as far as uh, just kind of that last point, and, and then we can, <laughs> we could let this go, <laughs> is that 
the jobs to be done framework has generated um, some really useful thinking that goes to things that aren't necessarily user experience uh, design practices, but that do fit really well into a, a good product design practice. And that's things like, again, Tony Olwick is the one I'm familiar with, um, where once you have really done the the deep dive discovery of the job to be done and then all of the desired outcomes that then from there there's a methodology to run surveys against potential customers where you're discovering okay uh of the solutions that i already have of milkshakes versus bagels versus bananas which ones am i well served with and which ones am I potentially uh, underserved? And so from, you know, basically through this further research methodology, you're then able to characterize, okay, here are the axes that matter most to my customers. And so from there you might find, um, okay, uh, this particular need is overserved in the product. I, I should actually remove functionality in order to uh, simplify it. Uh, and, you know, uh, more appropriately serve the need. Remove functionality? That sounds like <laughs> blasphemy. That's, that's PM blasphemy right there. <laughs> I'm going to be uh, tied at the stake. <laughs> so to go full circle, uh, the milkshake story, Brings most people talk... To the yard. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, every time anybody says milkshake, I, every single time I was watching there will be blood and he's talking about the oh, milkshakes yeah. and I still, it's like brings the boys to the yard. I just imagine Beyonce or whoever sings that comes out and uh, Mi Missy Elliott or whatever coming out and dancing around Daniel, Daniel Day Lewis in the, in that cafe. Well, he's like throwing the napkin on his head. <laughs> And then, and then you got thrown out of the movie theater. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the milkshake study. Most people know the first half of the milkshake study. We discovered that half of the milkshakes were sold before 8 a.m., and that's a great story about understanding the user's job to be done, which was to basically occupy me and get me filled up during my commute that's really boring and other things aren't a good fit. What most people don't reference is the other half of that same study where they found another audience that was buying milkshakes. And this was uh, Dad's Night Out. Wait, you're saying that people were, other people were buying milkshakes not before 8 a.m. in the morning? That's right. Uh, that's the other half surprising. of the milkshakes that were sold. <laughs> so when they tried to dig into that, they actually they found that there was a strong contingent of people who were buying milkshakes that were dads who had the kids for the night, who mom was unavailable for whatever reason, work or what have you. And so dad would take the kids to the restaurant to get them dinner. And so... The kids would want a dessert and dad wants to be cool. And so dad would say, okay, yeah, if you eat your dinner, you can have a milkshake. Does dad really want to be cool? I don't, I, <laughs> I, I don't think that's the, that, that's the actual motivation there. That dad just not wants to hear 
any like complaints or yelling <laughs> or crying or whining. That's what it is. Right, and because mom dead. isn't there, it's much easier. <laughs> That's trying to avoid a meltdown. Yeah, okay, that's exactly. a valid job yeah. to be done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> avoid a meltdown. Yep. <laughs> but uh, so out of this other contingent, ostensibly, you know, when it started with 100% of the milkshake buying population, everybody just wanted to buy a milkshake. But what they found from this particular set of customers is that um, they were essentially wanting to get a dessert for their for their kids. And so they were able to find solutions such as what about a smaller size milkshake that would be more appropriately sized for the kid um, that they could say, you know, hey, well, if you if you eat your dinner, then I'll get you this, you know, this kid sized milkshake or for that matter that they didn't, uh, you know, get the kid a milkshake that was too big and the kid fills up on milkshake and doesn't eat their cheeseburger. I'm assuming this is probably a, a burger joint that consumer had a similar solution but a an entirely different job to be done it was a job to be done which was like you said uh keep keep the kid from you know <laughs> throwing a fit and you know uh ruining <laughs> ruining your night uh or 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 trying to be cool or whatever that motivation was but the outcomes of those of, of that job was very different so again this gives you the opportunity to say okay what if we sold a, a healthy shake option for the morning commute so even more people could buy a milkshake and not feel as guilty about it, right? Because um, that's that's the only thing, honestly, that keeps me from getting a milkshake every morning is <laughs> I can't eat ice cream for breakfast. Yeah, I, I, I feel like Clayton, Christ, Clayton Christensen's trying to take credit for um, inventing the smoothie, right? <laughs> like the protein shake. Yeah, he totally did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I invented Jamba Juice. <laughs> Maybe he did. I don't know. That would make sense because that's like you know it's a it's a big Silicon Valley thing. So, so uh, yeah, all that is just to say that there there are um, by digging into the job that the customer is trying to to accomplish, uh, you're able to uncover those those key axes that matter the most. So again, in the in the case of uh, you know buying a shake for my kid after dinner, if he eats his whole dinner uh, or if he eats his vegetables, then yeah, I'll get him a shake. Uh, you know, options like having a smaller size that I don't feel so guilty about or that doesn't get the kid completely wired. And then he, you know, he's not going to go to bed and, and, and all that. These are all aspects that emerge as opportunities for that product as a result of understanding the job to be done. Mm -hmm. Yep. Scenarios. <laughs> More than <laughs> It's more than a damn gimmick. <laughs> so we we uh, we kind of got into the to the weeds on this. Is one of the reasons we haven't uh, discussed it previously. I, I suspect that it's going to come up a lot, um, just because I'm a big fan of jobs to be done, and uh, you remain dubious. Uh, we definitely derailed from the Ash Maria article, but I, I highly recommend uh, digging into it. We just kind of went. We kind of stalled out at the definition part of the article, but um, he gets into you know some other stuff that's uh, that's really good. Basically, uh, all of Ash Maria's uh, kind of branded content is under the banner called uh, "Love the Problem," and I I think that's you know ultimately what what jobs to be done is really effective at. It's it's getting you really in touch with the problem 
that you're trying to solve rather than starting with a solution and trying to figure out how to, you know, jam more people into it. Yeah. I, like I said, I am all for anything that gets product people and that's everybody, whether it's UX product management or engineering to spend more time discovering the problems, synthesizing problems, defining problems very, very well before they even start to go into solutioning. Because again, I go back to what I said earlier in, the, in, in, in this podcast is that we are somehow wired to like think in terms of solutions as opposed to problems. And it's not a natural thing. And that's why it's so important for us to like find ways to help people focus more on the problem that we're solving so that we define that really well. Um, so that we're making sure that we're solving the right problems. Right. And, 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 and that's, that's the, the, the part that whatever framework you're trying to use, as long as it's accomplishing that goal, I think you're, you're moving in the right direction. Stop designers love. Does the Staples rebrand qualify, qualify as stuff designers love? Well, let's, let, let's take a look at it. So, you know, typically when we, you know, we have new logos from companies, we've, you know, the designers in us are you know, either have some uproarious problems with it um uh most notable the the gap logo um uh. years back that everybody just like what the hell are you guys doing um and and more recently the the slack logo which um they've sort of fixed they fixed on like ios like where it's got the white background now so it's like it's a little easier to find but like on my desktop on on mac os it still has the old logo and it keeps telling me it's still up to date so i don't know what's What's up with that? I still can't. Yeah, finding that logo in a in a sea of UI is still very difficult. But so let's take a look at the Staples logo, right? So the Staples logo. Um, now that I'm looking at it closer, so I've got like I'm just Googled it and I've got the side by side of the old and versus the new. And I guess I didn't really know there realize there was an actual some staple esque thing embedded in the L of Staples. I guess oh, I, the old Staples logo. Yeah, the old Staples. The notice. old Staples logo. I I I I just never analyzed the Staples logo um, close enough to like. Oh, there's a a bent staple that kind of looks like an L with a little thing at the top. Yeah, that's because it doesn't look like a freaking staple. It's a half half bent staple. It's I, a a failed staple. It's a it's a failed staple. It's that staple that you're trying to like you know staple in something and something happens and like only half of it goes in <laughs> and then it's uh-huh. like. Man, they 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 carried us a, a failed staple in their logo for years. Wow! <laughs> right. It's like when you tried to staple like four hundred pages at once, and it just doesn't yeah. cut the mustard. No wonder they wanted to change that thing because wow, it's like. So if you haven't seen the the new logo, uh, we, we're linking to it, but I I believe in that uh, that article. They have the video of the unveiling. Is that one in there? Oh no! I, is there is there an unveiling? Oh, there is an unveiling too. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's that's the thing where the designers like try to justify why they did oh, all yeah. that shit with the logo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of like the the like the the whole Pepsi thing. Remember the 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 oh, the, yeah. the, the, the the design brief of how they changed <laughs> the Pepsi logo and all the different depths they went into. <laughs> Uh, we should. We need to put that in the show notes too. We've corrected the spiritual geometries. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> yeah, we have to look that up. 
If you haven't, if you haven't seen the the design brief for the newest Pepsi logo, I highly encourage you to go to the show notes, go to that link, and look it up because it is it is it, it is quite <laughs> it is quite a bit of um of of a prose. I'll tell you that. Oh yeah, you will never pitch design work the same after you see that. <laughs> no. It's it's one of those things where it's like it's like this big brand and we're like they're they're giving us a ton of money to come up with uh-huh. this new logo for them. So we gotta come up with a whole truckload of BS to justify uh-huh. the fact that we, you know, moved a couple of lines in sketch. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> we so we moved a couple of pixels here and there in sketch, but we charged you a half a million dollars for it. So here is like 50 pages of justification for those three pickles pixels that we moved. So in like fashion, the Staples logo unveiling video is brilliant because it's super overblown, but they started off by showing you what your eye may have overlooked for years like Larry, which is that this logo had this failed staple in it for years. Did they talk about that? The failed staple? In, in the video? well, they didn't call it that, uh, but they okay. show them unbending the the failed staple, and then it rotates, and then the the uh, the fonts magically turn from like this big sans serif thing into <laughs> uh, to the all uppercase into the to, to the sentence case uh, new Staples logo with TM as opposed to R. In a circle. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that was the main reason to change it. Right? Yeah, they need we, to get they need to get rid of the R the, the into the, into, the, into the trademark thing, right? <laughs> so, to the credit of Design Twitter, which is uh, quite often a dumpster fire of uh, opinions and hot takes, this is the first logo in recent memory that uh, I could think of that I found out about by somebody instead of saying what garbage it is somebody saying hey before you go spouting your opinion um maybe keep in mind that there were designers who actually worked really hard on this and maybe had reasons for whatever they did for good or bad <laughs> so so good good job design twitter I, I don't remember who was the user who said that but i was like what there's a new staples logo i must defecate upon it <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm all right with the new Staples logo. I think, like, looking at them side by side, the old one kind of looks kind of gross. And the yep, new one yep. looks like it's more pleasant on the eyes. It's like, it, it's nice. I like the fact that they went from the all caps into the, like, the sentence case. Um, I think the the staple at the beginning is a little big. Um, and it looks more yeah. like a table than a staple. But... Eh. Well, yeah. It's, it's, I think it's, I, I think it's a, a marked improvement for the brand. Yeah, so my hot take was, love it, it's great, a big improvement, much cleaner, much tidier. The only thing to me that was a real missed opportunity is that by tipping the staple over, agreed, it looks more like a table. And the reason that is, is because the feet of the staple are not uh, beveled such like a, a sharpened point of a staple would generally be right there's nothing sharp about it to allow it to staple yeah they need uh johnny ives uh patented chamfered 
uh, <laughs> chamfered design on the, 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 the feet of those staples. We've completely reimagined the staple experience. <laughs> We've got V-neck t-shirt. <laughs> a V-neck t-shirt and a blonde head. <laughs> Uh, all right, yeah, we, okay, we shouldn't go down the rabbit hole. <laughs> no, but no, no, we're not. I, I'm very irritated by the way all the memojis look identical. Basically, you can't tell Tim Cook and my memojis apart, with the possible exception of his has glasses. Yeah, and several billion more dollars than yours. Damn, his memoji is richer than me. <laughs> Hell yeah. Damn. <laughs> okay, so uh, stuff designers love. Whee! I love the new Staples logo. I think it's great. I, I think it's a marked improvement. I am not going to um, complain about that one at all. If you found this show useful, usable, and desirable, please share a quick review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Reviews help people find the show, and we appreciate your help. And remember that UX Like Us is your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at UX Like Us and let us know what you'd like us to have on the show and what you're discussing in your practice today. I'm Larry King. I'm at LA King on Twitter. And Roman is at Stuberman on Twitter. And thank you for listening. I've got a new book available on Rosenfeld Media called Dick Moves. <laughs>